It was November of 1997. I was sitting in the vigil of my father's funeral in Omaha, Nebraska, Dvorak's funeral home. He had died on All Souls Day of a fatal accident. I distinctly heard a voice say, build an electronic rosary. The voice was very deep. I had come late to the second rosary of the vigil, and there was a large crowd. I had to sit in the back around a group of women, and the voice wasn't coming from the ladies. <laughs> Over time, I would come to understand the real meaning of this request. We are happy to be with you tonight to share our story of God bringing us together, the good and difficult times we have shared, and the abundant love, grace, and mercy of Christ through the ordinary and extraordinary events of our lives. Sue and I have been married for 32 years and have, have two children, Aaron and Marita. Aaron is a postdoctoral researcher in the area of diabetes at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, and he recently married Linda, who also works in the same field at Vanderbilt. Marita, who's with us tonight, she is a professional violinist and works at Schultz Strings on First Avenue in Cedar Rapids. Sue is a theology teacher at Xavier High School and music director at St. Patrick's. I worked as an avionics system engineer for a number of years. We are going to be weaving our talk around the four mysteries of the rosary, the joyful when things are for the most part joy-filled along with the ordinary, the sorrowful when we are undergoing trials, the luminous for times of, of study related to spiritual growth, and the glorious for the times when we pray with hope and something breaks through. For Sue and me, the rosary has become our favorite prayer. The rosary is responsible for bringing us together and keeping us together. So we're gonna start off with the joyful mysteries. I prayed the rosary from early in my life. I always understood Mary to be the mother of our church. She wants to bring all of her spiritual children to her child, Jesus. Jesus through Mary is the short way of stating this. The Blessed Mother was emphasized by the Franciscan priests in my hometown parish of St. Joseph's in Omaha. I was involved in the Legion of Mary as a youth in my parish, and there is the, the uh, I guess, logo of that group pictured. In addition to our parish, our family prayed the Sunday night rosary on commercial radio. My parents met at the Third Order of St. Francis monthly prayer meetings, a lay Franciscan group. They also met at the music box in Omaha where my mom was a dance instructor. My dad couldn't dance very well. <laughs> it's hereditary. <laughs> They honored their spiritual meeting by giving all three children the middle name Francis, even my sister, Mary Francis. 
As early as I can remember, our family had a long-standing tradition of going to 8 a.m. Mass at St. Joseph Church with my grandparents. My father and grandfather sang in the men's choir at 8 o'clock Mass. I was an altar boy and attended Catholic school from the first to the twelfth grade. My parents worked hard to send me to Creighton Prep High School in Omaha, and I did not have my peer group at this school since I was from the south side of Omaha on Interstate 80 when you first crossed the Missouri into the state of Nebraska. The friends I hung around with had race cars, the gearhead crowd. We were curbside mechanics and SOBs, which stands for South Omaha Boys. <laughs> At Creighton Prep, I spent a fair amount of time with counselors such as Father Kenny, the monkey priest, known for his stocking monkeys that he would use in his skits for basically youth ministry before they invented that word. I gravitated to counselors because I did not have a, my larger group of friends at Prep, which was the rich kids' school. I enjoyed talking to adults, Conversing with adults helped me in some aspects of my maturity so that I did not preoccupy myself with some of the silliness of my peer group. One of my friends, Gary, from my class went there. He fit in well because his mother was the SAC general's secretary. Also, both of us were jealous of an upperclassman from our parish school and fellow musician who went there. I thought I could better myself by going to this prestigious school, but there are trade-offs with leaving the friend group behind. I came to know Christ as my personal savior in sophomore year of high school. It was through our theology classes that the Jesuits had programmed they were geared around showing films and discussion, discussing about people who lived out the Beatitudes. People like Cesar Chavez, Joe Hill, who organized the AFL-CIO, Gandhi, and other Christ figures. Even an unlikely one such as Tommy by The Who. It, you young people won't know what that is. <laughs> It caused me to cry tears of repentance for my sin and be truly sorry. My repentance was now real to me. This did not immediately change my life, however. My actions were yet not yet converted. The Sorrowful Mysteries. I had a period of rebellion growing up. Some of this was subtle and some not so subtle. I had a friend that was a thief. He was a new friend at Creighton Prep and was originally from South Omaha. He stole and I sold. I was the fence, selling stolen goods. It was mostly stereo equipment items when, I, when component stereos were first becoming popular. 33 RPMs, LPs, those big plastic platters. He ended up in the Nebraska State Penitentiary. At least this bad influence was out of my life. 
God protected me from this bad influence by incarcerating my friend. The not-so-subtle rebellion was becoming involved in hard drug experimentation, which sent me into depression. I was depressed for having squandered my parents' tuition money. I did not apply myself as I needed to, knowing that I needed top marks to be able to obtain scholarships since I did not save for college, putting all the money into, you guessed it, the race car. I spent all my money the wrong way. In the parable of the talents, I was the person who received the one talent and buried it. This led me to begin contemplating suicide. Faith and earlier involvement gave way to the lure of secular culture and wanting to be cool. Having cool hair, like in the picture there of my <laughs> cousin's wedding, pictured with my Aunt Rose, look like Jesus but not act like him. I was preoccupied with gigantic with the gigantic setback, the trouble I had got into with drugs, and the idea of wasting my life. God was not included in my daily life just on Sunday. God slips away, or rather, we slip away from him one step and one day at a time. When you go in the wrong direction, it does not take long to get miles off course of where you want to be. The devil is a liar and the father of lies, from John chapter 8. Once I had drifted away, I did not feel that I could call on him for the mess I had gotten myself into. This was my own doing. I had my dark cloud of setbacks and saw no way out. Suicide, in my mind, seemed like a way to undo the past. I wanted to crawl into a hole, as my mother would say, but she would use this phrase for things that really didn't matter. This was huge. People with depression do not think clearly. In bed at night, I would cry rather than working a way forward. I would rehearse the suicide in my mind, not bringing my faith to bear on the problem. God's mercy did not occur to me. Neither the prodigal son's story or the sacrament of confession seemed to pertain. This is in spite of my many counseling hours with Father Kinney. I thought my wasted life in the progression of missteps was too big for the confessional. I want to reiterate that this is not the right thinking. I had a good friend, Gary Kowal, who stood by me during this dark time. I did not mention to Gary my suicidal thoughts. I hardly spoke a word to him, which was totally odd for me. The routine was that he came over to my home and we would go for a walk around the neighborhood and not talk. He would try to cheer me up with monologues from Groucho Marx and his no less than thousand Polish jokes. <laughs> the best I could do was not frown. I saw Gary's role for me was simply to buy time, precious time, so that I could slowly muster up the reason not to do this suicide. He made lots of visits, thankless visits. 
and I attribute to him the saving of my life. God sent Gary to protect me for what St. Paul warns in Ephesians chapter 6. Our battle is not against human forces, but against the principalities and powers, the rules of the world of darkness. Gary died two years ago of a heart attack. I did not get to thank him for his merciful acts. In thinking about his life after he died, I told his mother the story, which she found solace in. Gary was a very faith-filled, and he came from a good Polish Catholic family. He claimed some sort of a connection to uh, St. Faustina Kowalski. <coughs> Thinks his name was a shortened version. I completed four years at Creighton Prep in spite of my struggle with suicidal thoughts. God was merciful to me. He kept me alive and kept me out of jail. My parents' rosaries were very much at work in spite of my less than stellar life. I grew up in Park River, a small farming community in the beautiful Red River Valley of North Dakota. My parents were devout Catholics. The parish of St. Mary's was at the center of my growing up years. Like Tony's family, the Blessed Mother and the Rosary were important parts of my family's devotion. We would pray the Rosary on Sunday after supper and evenings during Lent. Since we did not have a Catholic school in my town, the Sisters of the Presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary from Fargo led Summer Vacation Bible School. And in seventh grade, I expanded my piano studies by taking organ lessons from one of the sisters during that time. After that, I started playing for Mass and have continued to do so throughout my life. Serving the church through music became central to my vocation. One of my attributes that I often get complimented on today and appreciate about myself is my red hair. In my elementary and middle school years, it was not always that way. At this time in my life, I was frequently teased about my red hair, called carrot top and red, by certain kids who needed someone to bully. I was also asked why I wasn't as pretty as my sister. And because of my sensitive nature, I began to perceive myself as not pretty, not measuring up to others, and my self-esteem plummeted. I wish I would have stood up for myself, but instead I internalized these remarks and did not love the person that God created me to be. I became a perfectionist, holding high standards for myself and a people pleaser. I tried to be a model child and did everything I could to make my parents proud of me. I hated to be criticized, would never confront a person about a problem, and lacked confidence. I remember many conversations, even in my grown-up years, where I, thought I had thoughts I wanted to share, but held back, fearing that what I shared would be received as irrelevant. My Catholic faith was strong throughout this time, but I thought of God as someone up in heaven with a long beard who kept track of all my wrongdoings. I had a good friend who was a Lutheran, and we would discuss the differences in our faith when we were growing up. She would ask me if I knew Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I would say yes, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. I knew that Jesus was God's son who died for my sins and that I was saved through my baptism. But I didn't know how to have a relationship with him. 
I still had this lingering question. Was there more? When I graduated from high school, I decided to major in music, which was an area I excelled at. This choice had both a positive and a negative effect on me. Coming from a small town, I didn't have anyone to compete against, and I faced stiff competition for the first time once I went off to college. The stresses of college, along with the negative perception I had of myself, triggered an eating disorder that would take me years to overcome. A turning point in my faith was during my sophomore year in college when I was prayed over for the baptism in the Holy Spirit at my aunt's prayer group. I remember feeling a sense of peace while the group prayed over me. That night, I also received the gift of a prayer language called tongues. Shortly after this, I had an experience that would change my life forever. I was praying in my dorm room and reading a book about the Holy Spirit, and suddenly, I felt a warmth flow through me and the most incredible feeling of God's love filling my entire being. For the first time, I knew what it meant to know Jesus in a very real and personal way. I encountered the living Christ. I immediately began to weep tears of joy. I realized later that my tears were also a gift from God and he would use this to let me know he was present and touching me spiritually. Joyful and Sorrowful Mysteries. I enlisted in the Air Force a half year after I graduated high school. This time gave me the chance to repair my relationship with my parents before leaving Omaha for good. I had intense homesickness after basic training was over. I would visit home every two months via military aircraft hops and hitchhiking. When home, I would sometimes catch my dad praying the rosary at the side of his bed. This left an impression on me that praying was an important guy thing to do. Amidst his busy life as a mail carrier, as well as Watkins and Amway salesman, he found time for God. Currently, I say some of my rosaries in prayer, but I do decades while driving mostly. When distracted, I go back and donate the unfocused prayer to the poor souls. The poor souls like my attention deficit behavior. <laughs> Dads, pray with your children and do not be afraid to let your children see you praying. I applied for the U.S. Air Force Academy and was accepted and graduated. After completing navigation, and electronic warfare training, I was assigned to Grand Forks Air Force Base, North Dakota. I needed a top secret clearance for the flying job at Grand Forks due to my past drug experimentation, which came to light during my security investigation. I was in administrative trouble with the Air Force. I was seeing my career flash before my eyes. I could not see God using me in any other way than an Air Force career. I had to let go of my future and did not know what would lie ahead. I had to learn to let go and so God could work his providence in my life. This is the point in time when I met Tony. I was working as a music director at a church and a music teacher in the school in Minnesota.
and I gave a music workshop at the parish that Tony had recently joined. He started to transition his faith life from the base chapel and joined Holy Family Parish in Grand Forks. He sang with the folk group at the church and attended the workshop that I led. I noticed him a few minutes into the workshop and I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if he's still single. <laughs> he was good looking, he had a full head of black hair. Just, just like now. <laughs> and he looked Italian, kind of drawn to it, that dark, dark look. So anyway, I prayed about, I had prayed about finding a good Catholic man who loved Christ. As God's providence would have it, I received a phone call at the very end of the, of the workshop when the prayer service was about to begin. And so Tony was sitting in the back as I came in after the phone call and I conveniently slipped in beside him when I came in late. After the closing song, I told him that he had a very nice voice and he told me that I did too. We started talking and agreed to meet the next weekend for dinner. We found out that we shared a common music interest that would be a thread weaving us together. I worked with a civilian in base civil engineering, Tom Minchington, who noticed that I was pretty happy on Monday morning when I came to work. <laughs> he said, you look like you just read, just met the red-haired school teacher. I knew the news carried fast around Sioux's small town, but how would he have known in the big town of Grand Forks? <laughs> Tom was a spiritual man, but I, from his prophetic remark, I understood how spiritual he was. Of course, he said it was just an expression, but I would say an aptly timed expression. My mother had been praying the rosary for years that I would find a good woman to marry. I attribute meeting Sue to these prayers. Mary makes a great Jewish matchmaker. <laughs> From Fiddler on the Roof, in case you're... <laughs> I attribute meeting Sue to these prayers. Mary, okay, so I got engaged, we got engaged in April and married in November. Our wedding was beautiful with four priests and the bishop in attendance. He just happened to be there. He was at the parish that weekend for something else. <laughs> Sue could put together a great wedding being the parish music director. I finished my schooling and we moved to Cedar Rapids to begin my first job at Rockwell Collins. Sue worked at LaSalle High School and at St. Pius. These were both half-time jobs, and this is where we learned the math of one-half plus one-half is greater than one. <laughs> the Sorrowful Mysteries. I had some unresolved issues with my parents, mainly my mother. My mother wore the pants in the family and was a very strong-willed Italian woman. I loved her and attribute much of my own drive to her. And of course, she loved her little budujenedus, which is the little birds, you know, we call them the little birds because they're noisy. She would put down my dad rather consistently. This caused me to have bad interactions with Sue, as well as bad interactions between my mom and dad. My anger was not in control of visits back to my parents. Arguing would ensue, 
with my and my mom's tendency to escalate, I sought help from the Family Life Minister at St. Pius who helped me find books to address the anger problem, which was kind of interesting. They were written to women because at the time it wasn't considered a problem when a man has the anger problem. <laughs> <laughs> Try being married for a while. <laughs> After much soul searching, reading, and crying about this issue, I added prayer to, in addition to the study. I placed this problem at the foot of the cross. It was bigger than me. I needed God's intervention and God came through. I told my mom that I did not like the way she put down my dad. I've never known any different because I grew up with this. And when I was with my mom and dad, I told her that I would remind her when she did it. Things improved greatly, but I had an anger problem with Sue as well. I have to, not had to, learn that when my integrity is brought into question, that I should not lash back, which is my first natural reflex. Christ took punishments of all sizes throughout his life. When appropriate, he spoke. How can I possibly act against my natural reflex, which is to always speak? Scripture tells us, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is from Matthew chapter 19. But how do I get help? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, which is given to us in Psalm 124. And finally, another verse that is good for this is, No longer I, but Christ who lives within me, from Galatians 2.20. Through our receiving him in the Eucharist is how this happens. My challenge is to listen and keep a calm demeanor. Joyful and sorrowful. Another stress in our early marriage relationship was our inability to start a family as soon as we wanted. Maybe the Lord saw that we needed to come together on basic communication and unresolved problems before having children, which carry their own set of new challenges. We looked into ethical medical means of becoming pregnant as we wanted to uh, live our lives and make it wholly pleasing to God. We saw the church's ethical teaching in alignment with God's will. After four years of working with an infertility doctor, we opened our hearts up to adoption. We worked with a couple of local agencies and a lawyer who did private adoptions. An expectant mother chose us as parents for her child, which was due before Thanksgiving of 1988. I received a call the week of Thanksgiving from the lawyer we were working with. He told me that the baby had been born, but that the birth mother decided to keep the baby. We were devastated by this news, but continued to trust that God had a better plan for us. Tony's sister had planned to give us toys for Christmas for the adopted baby and decided to give them, even though the adoption fell through, in hopes of what God would do next. We found out a month later, right after Christmas, that we were pregnant with our son Aaron. God's faithfulness is so great if we walk with him through the trial. 
Two years later, we got pregnant with our daughter, Marita. Since I was in my late 30s, the baby was tested for the probability of birth defects. The test determined that there was a high probability that she was going to be born with Down syndrome. Not wanting to endanger the pregnancy, we opted out of the amniocentesis test. The prescription is abortion if they would have found something wrong, which would never have been an option for us. This is because we love Jesus and we love Mother Church. So we continued to trust God during the pregnancy and we were willing to accept any outcome God would have allowed. My mom had a special devotion to St. Therese of Lisieux and she suggested that we pray a novena together for her divine intercession. My last doctor appointment before Marita's birth, I saw the most beautiful bouquet of roses at the reception desk and knew that this was a sign from Therese. When Marita was born, I will never forget the words of Dr. Barker when he said, it's a girl and she's perfectly healthy. And we named her Marita Rose in honor of St. Therese. In pursuing adoption, we saw the pervasive effects of abortion in our country. We studied the social justice teaching of the Catholic Church, and we saw firsthand how the artificial shortage of children is due to abortion. We saw this as the civil rights issue of our day. We became involved in Bridgehaven, which was then Aid to Women, in the early days of their ministry. Tony especially had a heart for this ministry. He knew what desperation and crisis were from his own experience with suicide and his Air Force ordeal. He could relate to the women's fears. They wouldn't let us retake the test. They said it would gravitate the results toward the mean. It would, because they don't throw any results away, so they'd throw that back in the pool. So you can't retake the test and do better on the test. The Glorious Mysteries. I was the father of two young children, two years old and a new, newborn. I was climbing the company ladder and felt the trap of putting in overtime hours. I knew I needed to commit time to my marriage and family and tried to balance this with work. We had been involved with materials that would help our marriage and we attended marriage encounter, a marriage encounter weekend and we went to a marriage conference in Omaha. We listened to Focus on the Family on Christian Radio, and I heard on this, I heard radio rebroadcasts of the 1992 Promise Keepers Conference at Boulder Stadium. The talks were inspiring, speaking of Christianity and the desiring to make the difference in our lives with a band of brothers. Some of the talks focused on family and marriage, all contained how we can become better men. Radio brought world-class speakers to us and allowed us to fit listening into our busy schedules. I want to relate how radio, Christian radio in this case, got all this started with James Dobson's Focus on the Family, Caring Promise Keeper 1992 conferences. These were the fruits born out of listening to Christian radio. I had been listening to Through the Bible Radio for five years, a little half-hour morning program. With all the head knowledge of the Word of God, 
I was lacking in the applications department. From listening to those rebroadcasts, I was inspired to attend the 1993 Promise Keeper Conference in Boulder. The next step was how to get other Catholic men to go to the next year's conference. My hope was to bring this pearl of great price, motivation of Catholic men into their own faith, into the Catholic Church. This started with a bus trip from First Assemblies of God in 1994 to the Promise Keeper Conference in Indianapolis. There was one bus of many Catholics among the 10 buses that went. Men on the trip included Dan Rouse, Bob Weatherall, Deacon Frank Easton, and even Father Kelker. On the bus trip home, we stopped at the quick trip for our break and we decided, the Catholic guys together, to meet the following Tuesday at the Cozy Inn downtown Cedar Rapids, which no longer exists. <laughs> From this small start, this group has branched off into each of the area parishes and has been meeting every week for over 20 years. There was a lot of drama getting Catholic men's groups patterned after promise keepers approved locally with Monsignor James Barda, the Cedar Rapids parochial vicar at the time. This group became Men of Action on June 9th of 1999. After a number of years, Catholic men's conferences were started and held at Xavier High School. Eventually, the men's conferences received approval for sponsorship by the archdiocese, mainly through the efforts of Dan Rouse. Having a support group of Catholic men gives us a chance to bolster our, each other to live the Christian life. The men are held accountable to each other, which is so important. The Men of Action can also be used as follow-on weekly groups for those making CEW retreats or just any man that wants to participate in making his faith life better. Through our study materials, we improve our understanding of the Catholic Church and in doing so, along with accountability, love God and try to be the best husbands and fathers we can be. The Luminous Mysteries. While Tony was involved in Men of Action, I'm left behind with my own struggles of eating. I did not have a similar women's support group I could turn to. I did not have the habit of adoration, praying the rosary, or attending daily mass. At this time, I continued to struggle with this eating disorder. At the start of my addiction in my college days, I severely res restricted my food intake, and at one point I weighed a little over 100 pounds. This pattern went on for three years. At the end of my junior year in college, I began to struggle with binge eating. I was an emotional eater and a closet eater. I went from being severely underweight to weighing close to, to 200 pounds. I can't begin to tell you how many different diets I tried, the resolutions I would make, the prayers I would pray to God for help, and the many times I fell back into the vicious cycle of addiction. I would ask why he wouldn't take this terrible vice away from me. This pattern continued, and whenever I would have some success with getting my eating under control, I fell back into the vicious cycle again. This addiction followed me into my marriage. I had lost about 60 pounds by the time I met Tony, but I still was emotionally controlled by food. 
I would eat when I was happy, and I would eat when I was sad. I would turn to food as a comfort whenever Tony and I had a disagreement over something. My pattern would be to go into silent mode with him rather than confront confronting the issue head on. At night when Tony was busy doing other things, I would eat in secret. When I became pregnant, I was determined that I would not gain a lot of weight. So I managed to have control during that time, but once the pregnancy was over, I fell back into this destructive behavior. With two young children, I found it difficult to schedule time for prayer into my daily routine. I had the desire, but wasn't able to carry through on my good intentions. When Marita was 18 months, I reached a point where I wanted to be free of the hold this addiction had on my life. I called my aunt who had led me to the baptism in the Holy Spirit and knew of my struggle. I asked if her prayer group would pray over me. I shared with Tony that I needed help and he was very supportive. Her prayer group prayed over me and again I felt that peace as I surrendered everything over to God. I slowly began to notice that situations revolving around food didn't have the same effect on me. I was able to avoid turning to food as a means of reward or using it as a source of comfort. Instead, I found myself relying on God and His grace. My addiction did not leave me completely, but I have been able to bring this part of my life under the control of God and the Holy Spirit. Three years later, we had an opportunity to move back to Minnesota. We would be two hours away from my family, which was very appealing to me. I still struggled with the resentment I felt whenever Tony raised his voice at me and we dis disagreed over various issues. Maybe moving would help us to get a new start in our relationship. A few months after our move, a friend gave me a cassette tape of Scott Hahn's conversion story. The biggest roadblock to his becoming Catholic was our devotion to the Blessed Mother. He told the story about an impossible situation in his life. One day in his desk at work, he found a rosary someone had given him, but he had never used it. He told the Blessed Mother that he would pray a rosary for this intention and if she answered his prayer request, he would be forever devoted to her. Time went by and his prayer request was answered. It suddenly dawned on him that it was the Blessed Mother and the rosary that that was the reason for his answered prayer. This story really convicted me. As I told you, I had grown up praying the rosary with my family, but I had stopped praying it after Vatican II when many of the special devotions were incorrectly no longer practiced. I decided to start praying the rosary again. Through this experience, I have developed a deep devotion to the Blessed Mother and the rosary. I pray the rosary daily, and I find great consolation and power in this beautiful prayer form. Rather than seeking my happiness from Tony, I found the true source of happiness through Mary, bringing me closer to her son. I felt Our Lady telling me, do not continue finding fault with Tony, but pray to me and I will help you to love and to accept him. Through this, I was given great consolation and a new strength to work things out between us. After two years, we moved back to Cedar Rapids due to a downturn in the agricultural sector. Tony did not have enough time in the company to ride out the downturn and an opportunity became available at Rockwell. We were happy to be back in Cedar Rapids. Making a CEW weekend in 1993 was the start of a great time of spiritual growth for me. Tony made a CEW and he encouraged me to do so as well. 
I helped provide music for a number of weekends, and then I was asked to give the holiness talk. As part of our team preparation, Father Boo, the spiritual director, asked the team to attend Tuesday morning mass at St. Pius to pray for the weekend. At this CEW, I really connected with Eucharistic Adoration and was drawn to start attending daily mass. Through this and daily mass, I began to know and experience the power of Christ in the Eucharist. I also started praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet and was impacted by the graces of Divine Mercy Sunday. I had a powerful experience during Eucharistic Adoration when I attended the National Catholic Youth Conference with my daughter Marita. The auditorium was darkened and a spotlight shone on the monstrance as it was processed around the auditorium. I could feel the emotion welling up within me as the priest passed by me. My heart, my soul, my spirit were reaching out to Christ in the Eucharist. I felt his divine presence so strongly, his body, his blood, his soul, his divinity, radiating forth from the host. At this, after this, I sought opportunities for Eucharistic adoration and prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. The opening of the St. Patrick's Eucharistic Adoration Chapel in 2011 strongly impacted my spiritual walk. The Divine Mercy Chapel was like a magnet for me. The Lord was drawing me to himself. Every day I looked forward to the time that I would spend in Eucharistic Adoration. I felt a powerful presence of Christ when I entered the chapel. Whether it was kneeling and reverencing the, uh, the uh, monstrance, or gazing at the life-size image of the Divine Mercy, or meditating on the crucifix above the altar, all these sacred objects filled my heart with love for Christ. My heart would burn within me like I was walking on the road to Emmaus. I tell people that the St. Patrick's Divine Mercy Adoration Chapel is, in, is truly the holiest place in Cedar Rapids. And I know you will agree with me, those of you that have frequented this beautiful place. My visits were and continue to be times of great grace. Christ has helped me to embrace suffering, challenges me to empty myself of pride and ego, and calls me to embrace the cross. At this time, Tony and I prayed separately, but not that often together. We began to attend daily Mass together and praying the Rosary as a couple. We would attend Eucharistic Adoration whenever possible and began praying the Liturgy of the Hours. We made the 33 days to morning glory consecration to the Blessed Mother and 33 days to merciful love. All of these prayer experiences helped to unify our marriage. The Glorious Mysteries. Trips to see our families in Omaha and North Dakota in the late 80s brought us into the broadcasting areas of Catholic radio. Whenever we had the opportunity to listen to Catholic radio, our faith was bolstered and our knowledge of faith increased. It also led us hunger to have Catholic radio in our own city. We saw Catholic radio as an effective means to properly forming the Catholic conscience. It was also a means to convey the teachings of the church preceded by the irresistible love of and for Jesus. Part of the process is catechesis and part is coming to love the Lord and his ways. Mary, his mother and our mother can be instrumental at showing us how to love her son. 
Sue was the first to hear the EWTN call for individuals wanting to start Catholic radio stations. She contacted EWTN and received the information. Then I became involved in learning how to go about this, which included many false steps as I learned. The Lord revealed to me more and more the right way of approaching things. As I began our talk, I told you the story of the Lord telling me to build an electronic rosary. Well, I actually built an electronic rosary, which took until, and it, it actually works, kind of. It does the, it helps you do the sign of the cross, and then it does the lead-in beads, and then it does the decade counter, and then it goes around the bend. It's a great, be a great gift for the grandmother that has everything and doesn't use a smartphone. <laughs> it's an app. But I think that uh, what was missing from this thing is I think to market it better would, would be that <laughs> it, was a, it was just a little ahead of its time. Okay, so I built it, but I couldn't figure out what to do with it. It would need a huge capital investment to realize any profit on the product. It wasn't so much the electronics, it was the case that was the issue. So I had um, a guy from our parish, John Rolchin, help me make this. The, 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 he had cookie cutter deals that you make on a, on a router and stuff, and he went through the whole nine yards for it to do nothing. So after... <laughs> So after applying for this radio station, we were involved with a seven-year litigation process with the FCC concerning the radio license, and the radio station KMMK finally prevailed through the help of God. I came to realize that build an electronic rosary, way back from when my dad died, meant to build a Catholic radio station. We are presently working, because they do the rosary, right? We are presently working toward building a radio station in the Cedar Rapids area. Talk radio for faithful Catholic living. The station, KMMK, is named after St. Maximilian Mary Colby, a conventual Franciscan. As you saw in the video, Father Colby was a prisoner at Auschwitz, and he gave his life in place of a father of a family sentenced to die by starvation. St. Maximilian died on August 14th of 1941, which is his feast day, which is coming up in four days. Father Colby lived the gospel message, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for a friend. Colby's gestures of self-sacrifice, and here is pictured the two crowns, the one of purity on the left, which was his printing press operation, and the one on the right, which is the martyrdom at Auschwitz. Colby's gestures of self-sacrifice through his imprisonment left a distinct impression on the concentration camp. This is not a place in the world to find charity normally. Life was changed for the better even in that horrible place. I want to relate to you the joy of having St. Maximilian Mary Colby as our station patron. We chose him initially only because he was the patron of amateur radio. 
The KMMK call sign was available, which stands for Mer Maximilian Mary Colby, KMMK. He is highly devoted to Mary and wanted to bring the world to consecration to her. He had, uh, as showed in the film, uh, not only a place in Poland, but also in uh, Nagasaki. And uh, also we have our own place in this, near the city of Chicago in Marysville. Because of his faithful devotion to Mary, who he called the Immaculata, he ran the city of the Immaculata, or Neopokalonau in Poland which was housed in, you know, housed the printing press operation at one time employing 800 friars. With, uh, with this workforce dedicated to the Immaculata, he distributed one million monthly copies of the night. This is one of the reasons why Poland today is still faithfully Catholic, unlike many of the countries in Europe. We can see his love for the Immaculata in his quotes. If anyone does not wish to have Mary the Immaculate for his mother, he will not have Christ for a brother. And another one, neither be afraid of loving the, the Blessed Virgin too much. You can never love her more than Christ did. We have been mobilizing church contacts to spread the word about this endeavor and fundraising. A large part of getting the station on the air, of course, is fundraising. A year ago, we attended a Catholic radio conference in St. Louis where we learned that God has money. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> Presently, we have reached 60% of our goal to get KMMK on the air. And of course, I can't just advertise that because the, you know, it's, there's more to it than just getting on the air. There's sustainment involved, and it's, so it's, it's the ongoing operating cost as well. We hope that KMMK Radio will impact listeners as I experienced through Christian Radio, as this was in part responsible for starting, for instance, the Men of Action in the Catholic churches in our area. We hope to promote devotion and consecration to Mary as St. Maximilian did. And this will be major for the radio station. We have the, the little catechism for the Militia Immaculata, and I hope that every family gets one copy of that. It's got good, succinct things about Colby and Marian devotion, uh, his martyrdom, and other important facts about the, uh, the consecration. We, we continue to trust in God as we await the FCC ruling on moving the station to a better location in Coggin. Right now it's located up around Highway 20, about 12 miles north, with a more powerful transmitter. We ask for your continued prayers for the success of KMMK and we, as we petition our Blessed Mother. We are excited to go forward with this mission. We want to thank all of our donors, and workers that have contributed in any way to this project and for embracing this vision of Catholic Radio. Through your continued support and help, we are confident that KMMK will become a reality. Your gifts and prayers are essential catalyst. They reverberate hope in Christ. 
Our 32 years of marriage and family life have had joy, sorrow, illumination, and glory as we pray in the mysteries of the rosary. The hard part is the sorrow and setbacks to which Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me before he carried his own. We have come to learn the why of our suffering. It is through suffering that we fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the body, the church, from Colossians 1:24. If we don't suffer well, we have failed to learn from Christ's suffering. We can forget that Christ is yoked with us to help us with our burden. Trials make for a strong faith, and we have been brought into deeper union with God and each other through them. We have made it through the difficulties because we have kept the faith and we have put God as the center of our marriage. Archbishop Fulton Sheen said that it takes three to marry, the husband, the wife, and God. Proverbs tells us that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. God is the first strand and the unifier of the couple. If we both try to please God first, our marriage life will be better served. God has been good to us. We are proud of our children he has given us. The blessing of Aaron, Marita, and now Linda bring the most joy to our lives. We continue to trust in his providence and guidance in the years ahead. Saint Maximilian Colby and Mary the Immaculata pray for us. And we would like to end by singing a favorite hymn of us, of ours, of Mary, Immaculate Mary, that all of you know. So that will be on the screen. And I will go over here.